what is going on? Welcome in to the starting lineup. I am Eric Fry, and I'm trying to remember how to do all this. Solo today. Travis has the day off. But hey, if you are a fan of the starting lineup, and how could you not be if you're listening to this, don't forget, we are coming back within the next week or so. Maybe a little longer than a week, but very soon we will be coming back with the starting lineup. And of course, starting lineup brought to you by our friends at Man Meets, Tingley Insurance Agency, Worth Computer Repair, and Totopolis State Bank. Without their support, we would not be here. So there you go. And like I said, I am glad to be back in here. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's been a while since I had any uh, opportunity to talk to anyone about sports. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna officially uh, talk about some some sports, kind of get you re caught up on on some things and uh, some some other things. We got we got lots to talk about here, lots and lots to talk about. So let's uh, go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and just get into it. And of course, we're gonna start off today's episode with the best team in baseball since the All-Star break, and that is, without a doubt, the Chicago Cubs, right? I mean, I know, you could also say the Rangers, but I think the Cubs have been playing some great baseball recently, and currently a game and a half back of the Brewers for the Central, and they are tied with the Reds as of this recording. They are tied with the Reds for the final playoff spot in the NL, on the NL wildcard side. So, Right now, Cubs would be in the playoffs. Put them in there right now. How about that at 59 and 55? Been playing some good ball recently. And I think, you know, as we are now, you know, kind of the second week into August, I think we can look at the standings and kind of get a great idea of kind of where everyone is at. I think the AL East will have two teams in there for sure, without a doubt. The Orioles and Rays, what a fall off from the Rays from the beginning of the year, right? I mean, they've just they've they've fallen, or the Orioles have played better. One of the two, um, but I think the Orioles and Rays for sure will make the playoffs. I think the Twins will win the AL Central. They're just playing much better baseball right now than Cleveland is. Um, the Rangers and Astros, I think, will both make the playoffs as well. So that right there is you know your your two wild cards, and then. I don't know. I I would say probably the Blue Jays would be the third wild card in the AL. Mariners are two back as of this recording. You know, the Yankees are right there. The Red Sox are there. The Angels are seven back, but they're three and seven in their last ten. I just, I I don't see the Angels making enough of a run, uh, especially with the questions about the health of Otani and, you know, Mike Trout and everything like that. If if they get healthy, they're going to need a lot of help. Um, I think seven's too far back right now, based off of what I'm seeing and how they're playing. Um, I just, I just don't think that they, I, I just don't think they have enough. On the NL side of things, let's look at uh, the NL. I, the Braves pencil them in, and in fact, I would pencil the Braves in as the one seed in the National League. I mean, they're just so much better. It seems like than everyone else, even though we just took two out of three from them. But uh, I, I, I think they're just playing so much better than everyone else. I'm still going to go Brewers in the Central. 
because I I think down the stretch their experience as a team will factor in more so than the Cubs. I mean, it's been a couple of years since the Cubs were kind of in a playoff position, um, and they got a lot of young guys on their roster. I mean, they do have some veterans, you know, as well. Ian Happ's been in for a playoff run. Cody Bellinger's been in playoff runs. Dansby Swanson's been in playoff runs. So they have some players who've, who've been in these type of situations, but I just don't think they have enough of them, and I think that'll factor down, down the road. And then I, I think the Dodgers will outlast the Giants um, without, for sure, without a doubt. Now that we are, are you know, let's let's look at the wild card real quick in the NL, NL and then I'll, I'll continue. I, I think the Giants and Phillies are kind of the locks to get in. They're both three games up. And then that's where it gets interesting. Basically, from the Padres, who are four back, up to the Cubs, who are tied with the Reds right now. I think any one of these teams... Cubs, Reds, Marlins, Padres, and Diamondbacks. These five teams are battling for one playoff spot, provided nothing happens to the Phillies or Giants. And you know, my heart really wants to say the Cubs. It does. It really does. But I don't know, because I keep thinking that the Padres are going to get it figured out. Pure talent-wise on the roster, there is no team in the NL with as much pure talent as the Padres. They just haven't clicked thus far this season. But, man, if there's a time to start clicking, it's the second half of the year, right? And so I really do, I mean, entering the second half of the year, they were three games below 500 at 44 and 47. They're still four games below 500 at 55 and 59. So I, you know, they haven't really gained much. They just they just haven't put it together all season. Like and that's why I keep going back and forth. But like I said, pure talent wise, I mean, you know, I, I know Musgrove's on the IL and Waka's on the IL and they've dealt with some injuries. Um but you know, Josh Hader's really good. Um, you know, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto, Tatis. You know, these are guys, and, and you know, then they traded for uh, G-Man Cho as well. You know, they still have Matt Carpenter on there, you know, and we know what he can do in the, uh, you know, once you get to the the, the later months of the year. Uh, I don't know, something about this team just tells me that they can they can come back and, and do this because four is not a lot, Especially when you're looking at the teams you're you're trying to chase down. If you are the Padres, I mean, none of them really scare me. The Marlins, I, the Marlins, I think are a really good team. I still think they're a year away from really contending. Same thing with the Diamondbacks. And so I guess by process of elimination here, I I I'm down to the Reds and the Cubs, and I'm just gonna say it then. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the Cubs will make the playoffs. The Cubs will make the playoffs. They'll be a wild card team. And I think the decision that they made of not selling off the end of the month and the way they closed out the end of the first half of the season and have continued into the second half of the season, without a doubt, no one is better right now, like I said, since the All-Star break than the Cubs. They entered their first game was a loss after the all-star break in Boston uh, to Boston they were 42 and 48 at that time they are now 59 and 55 they have lost uh, seven seven games and won 17 
They're 17 and 7 since the All-Star break. I would take that. I don't know of a lot of of, you know, I don't know of a lot of guys who wouldn't take that for their team. And you figure, you know, Strowman's on the IL. He's going to come back, hopefully be better. I know he last couple starts weren't good, but I put that on the fact of he was injured. Um, you know, so I think um, Madrigal has done a great job. I think the pickup of uh, Candelario was a great job by the front office um, as well. Morrell has looked good in a little bit. He's, you know, little time he's had and then my man Mike Tockman has just been outstanding couldn't have asked for better and you know I know that there are comes some Cubs fans saying hey you need to get Seiya back in the starting lineup like we're paying him we paid him all this money and he is not starting well yeah that's because right now he doesn't deserve to start he's not playing well enough and if there's one thing we know and that is if a team is playing well do not do not mess with it just don't so I think that they are doing the right things right now. I really do. And I think that this team is clicking at the right moment. Now, I may talk to you in a week and go, uh, nope, it's all done. It's all over. But I I think right now, you know, the Cubs are looking pretty good. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel more and more excited the more and more we go on this season about this Cubs team because – they've they've put in the work and they they're doing a good job and a lot of people could have wrote them off but as i mentioned to travis before it was one month they had one bad month but the rest of the time i think they've been playing some pretty good uh pretty good baseball so hopefully they can continue that and uh you know the cardinals hey you're just ready for the season to be over aren't you guys you're just ready to be done with this year and i can't blame you I've had years like that, too, where it's like, can we be done, please? Like, is this over? You just want to take everyone and go sit them on the bench and say, you all just sit. We're done. But uh, still got quite a bit more left, including, uh, you know, the Rays uh, series continues till tomorrow. And then you got a two-gamer with the Royals. And, hey, a Sunday off for the Cardinals. How about that? Uh, before next week, uh, taking on Oakland. So that should be a winnable games for you. Oakland, the Mets, Pirates, that's a winnable stretch for the Cardinals. So, uh, you know, starting with the Royals. So hopefully the, the Cardinals can can turn that around. But uh, it, hasn't, it hasn't been great for the Cardinals this year. But, uh, you know, they made the moves they made at the trade deadline. I, I forgot. I haven't talked to you guys since the trade deadline or anything like that. But, um, you know, they made the moves they did and didn't make the moves they didn't make. And, uh, you know, now they're, they're you know, stuck with what they got and they're hopeful to contend for next season. And, and do I think they're going to contend? Possibly. Um, but I also think that this isn't a one-year thing, right? Like, this isn't a one-year thing, possibly. So, hey, it is what it is. So, that's kind of where we're at in the world of baseball. I, I'm i all for the Cubs. Let's go. Let's keep going. Um, big, big fan of what they've been doing. And I think it's going to, it's gonna you know, work out pretty well um, for the Cubs. Like I said, I think they can make the playoffs. I really, really do. I really think that they can make the playoffs this year. And I, I didn't feel that way. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, but man, they've been playing some great, great, great football recently. So, all right, let us now move on to college football and the mess 
that has become of college football. I mean, this is just absolutely insane when you talk about who's going where and what is no longer there. Let's just be honest. The Pac-12 is dead. The Pac-12 is gone. And it just happened like that. Like, in a moment, the Pac-12 is is finished. And it's almost shocking how quickly it happened. Um, this is, to me, huge. This is huge. Because the Pac-12, again, you know, everyone's talking you know, football. And that's, that's the main thing about this. You know, we'll talk football and, you know, that's the main thing, you know, Colorado left first. They went, you know, to the, to the big 12. And then it was the big 10 who came in and got Oregon and Washington and they're gone. So, I mean, if you are the, the PAC 12, like I said, there is no PAC 12. Um, there's, there's nothing here. Um, now Washington state, uh, basically said that, you know, the realignment moves are, are bad, put them in a bad spot. You're 100% right. Um, but if you are the teams that are left in the Pac-12, and let's uh, let's see here, who's who's left? Is it weird to say? Who is left standing right now um, as far as uh, this season goes, um, or after this year, I should say, um, you got uh, Washington State, um, Stanford, Oregon State, and UC Berkeley. That's it. Cal. That's it. Everyone else has left. Arizona, they're going to the Big 12. Arizona State, Big 12. Of course, UCLA, Big 10. Colorado, Big 12. Oregon, Big 10. Southern Cal, Big 10. Utah, Big 12, Washington, Big 10. So what's left? Like, what do you have left? Who Are you going to try and get anybody? I mean, the only thing I can think of is, is trying to see what's out in the Mountain West. But I don't see anything really there. I mean, Oregon State and Washington State have already said, hey, we're, we're coming. So, you know, Oregon State... Washington State, boom, they're going there. So that leaves Stanford and Cal. Where are Stanford and Cal going to go? What do they have? Because I I think you're full on the West Coast Conference. You got Air Force, Boise State, uh, Fresno State, Colorado State, Nevada, um, in in Reno, then UNLV, New Mexico, San Diego State, San Jose State, Utah State, Wyoming. I mean, who, where else do you got to go? If you're Cal and if you're Stanford, what do you have? Like, to me, I've, I I don't know where you go because it's not the Mountain West. It's full. I think it's full. I don't think you're going anywhere there. So where are you going? This is absolutely insane, and it's going to change the face of college sports, not just this year, but forever. And am I being a little, you know, oh, Eric, you're just 
you're being a little little too too you know the sky is falling kind of thing. I, I don't think I am. I I think that this is huge. I think it's going to change college sports forever. I think once we decide to go this way, you can't go back. Like this is not a thing where it's like oh. Well, we did this, but it didn't work out, so we're, we're going to go back to the way things were. No. You're not going back. You can't go back after this. So, I, I think a, a Cal, like I said, and Stanford, I don't know where you go unless you just become independent. And maybe that's what they're going to do. Because... Where else are you going? Who else is wanting you? And again, those two schools have such a thing about being, oh, well, you know, we uh, we are, you know, school institutions first. And we have to be at places that, you know, fulfill our academic needs. All right. But I don't think that's going to work out for you. I really don't. I mean, maybe you can find a way to get into the the whack, but again, that's FCS. That's not FBS. I don't see Stanford playing FCS football, and I don't see Cal playing FCS football. That's not going to happen. So again, where are you going? Can you go to the Big Ten? Are they still looking for teams? I don't think so. I think the Big Ten's full. Unless we're completely consolidating and we are completely doing in with conferences and we're just going to get rid of them. And I'm not going to talk about playoffs because this, of course, muddies up everything as far as what you do. But let's talk about something that no one is talking about with this move. And that's basketball. That's college basketball. The Pac-12, I mean, you talk basketball. Arizona, UCLA, you know, Oregon was good for a couple of years. Oregon State's always in the tournament. Stanford, USC was just in the Final Four a couple of years ago. What does it do for that? And I'll tell you what it does for that. You know, you look at the you look at men's basketball in the Pac-12 conference. Obviously, UCLA, thirty-two Pac-12 regular season championships. They've dominated. Second place is Arizona with 17. So they've done okay. Washington has 12. Oregon State has 12. Cal has 15. And Stanford has 11. You talk about Final Fours and winning championships? I mean, it was a long time ago. But Final Fours... Arizona, as we talked about, 2001, made the Elite Eight in 2015. Like, yes, they have been off, but they have 37 tournament appearances. 37. Of course, UCLA, as we mentioned, 2021, they were in the Final Four. Oregon, 2017, in the Final Four. These are not nothing schools. USC, Elite Eight, 2021. UCLA, Elite Eight, Oregon State, Elite Eight, 2021. Oregon, Elite Eight, 2017. These are not nothing programs. These are really, really good 
college basketball programs. And now you look at where they're going. Think about think about this for this for a second. All right, let me let me pull up. Um, let's see. If we look at the Big Twelve, okay. And again, this is this is isn't what anyone is telling you about, but I'm I'm telling you about it. Okay. If you look at the Big Twelve in 2024 for basketball, Baylor, they've been pretty good recently. BYU. UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. Houston's been okay. Kansas, we know what Kansas is. It's an institution. Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia. Oh, and then, by the way, we're going to throw in Arizona. We're going to throw in Arizona State. We're going to throw in Colorado. We're going to throw in Utah. Man, that's exciting. That's exciting. And now let's go to the other side of it and the Big Ten. We already knew you're going to throw UCLA and you're going to throw USC in there. Now let's throw in Oregon and Washington. Now I know Washington hasn't done a whole lot as far as you know basketball, but Oregon has recently. And you throw it into what a lot of people say is the best conference in basketball. That's exciting. That's really exciting. And let's talk about now where this leaves us. You know, where where does this leave us? Where are we at now as far as all this realignment goes? Well, we're basically left, you know, after Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12. Then you got, you know, UCLA, USC, Oregon, Washington leaving the Pac-12. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah leaving for the Big 12. What's next? And what I mean by that is, what conference is next? Where are they going to try and take more from? Because you know this isn't the end. This is an arms race. It's who can get the best as fast as they can. And that's the goal. So who's next? What school, what conference is getting taken over next? And to me, I look, obviously, you know, we talked about about the Mountain West earlier. I don't think it's quite big enough. I, I don't think when you're looking at attendance for games, you look at fan support and stuff like that, I just don't think it's big enough to me when you talk about support and what's next it's the american athletic conference right formerly the big east to me i think that's the next phase that's who's going next and you asked me eric who do you think is going to be leaving i i don't know i mean i'm sure that there are people that want memphis specifically for basketball Right, I'm sure that there are people who want East Carolina and football has been pretty decent recently. Wichita State for basketball was good for a while. I I don't know if there's enough there, and I don't. I think that may be the problem. Is we're starting to get to the point of there's not enough here. 
Maybe the Big East. Maybe it's the Big East next. It's already gone away once. I think it's still strong enough to continue on its own, but, I mean, and of course there's always the Notre Dame question. Does the SEC or the ACC, specifically the ACC, make a run at Notre Dame? They're already there for basketball. Why not football? Are they going to make a run for it? Are they going to make a run at Notre Dame? It was always Notre Dame and, and Big Ten. Notre Dame and Big Ten. Big Ten's out of spots, guys. Notre Dame's not coming. So does the ACC make a run and say, Notre Dame, you want to come play football here? Or is Notre Dame going, no, we're good. We got our own deal. And how much does the deal that the Big Ten made with NBC going to factor into that? Because for so long, NBC, Notre Dame, NBC, Notre Dame, NBC, Notre Dame. They just went together. Now they're not. They're still there. But I, I'll i be honest, I was watching some some racing, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. I was watching some racing this weekend, and I saw more promos for the Big Ten game coming up than I did the Notre Dame game. And the Notre Dame game was on Peacock, I think. So does Notre Dame look at this and go, whoa, NBC, their sports network's moving away from, you know, from us being the main thing. We're going to go get somewhere where we can be one of the main things. I don't know. That's interesting. And how does it help recruiting? Not so much for Notre Dame, but, you know, we've already seen, you know, people leaving colleges to go to these other ones who are going to the Big Ten. You know, I know it was an individual who left USC and transferred to Oregon because Oregon is making the move to the Big Ten. I think this is going a lot faster than everybody thought. I was kind of on the bandwagon when all this realignment started that, all right, within eh, 10 years, maybe we'll be in, you know, kind of four super conferences. Guys, I don't think it's going to take 10 years. I don't, I don't think we'll get there. And I think, you know, from a football side, you keep expanding the playoffs. It makes this easier. It makes this easier. And on the basketball side, you already have so many teams making it. What's the difference? Is it really that important if you are a Pac-12 school or a Big Ten school or a Big 12 school when it comes to college basketball? No, nah, not really. Besides your scheduling, it makes scheduling easier because you know you're going to have those conference games. Maybe if you're a bubble team. But as, as far as that goes, no, nah, not really doesn't really affect you. Football, it does. Football, the conference prestige helps push you over the edge. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these consolidations and no one's taking into account basketball. Or baseball. Or any of these other team sports. That conferences matter in. It's all about football. And I know there's a lot of people who are upset about the fact that we're losing some of these traditions. We're losing some of these rivalries with these realignments. Yeah, we are. Sorry. Get used to it. You don't have to like it, but it's what's there. Now, of course, I'm going to tie this back into Illinois. If you're an Illinois fan, brother, you better hit it this year. Because you ain't getting another one. 
I mean, football and basketball, this better be the year because it's everything's going to get a lot more difficult very soon. Because the, the amount of talent that is coming into the Big Ten is something that Illinois has never had to deal with. And they're going to. And they're going to. Alrighty. So now that I have that out of the way, that's really what I wanted to rant on. Let's talk a little golf real quick as Rory and John Rahm are the first two Team Europe players confirmed for the Ryder Cup. We kind of knew this. You knew Rory and, and John Rahm were going to be there. But, man, that's a dangerous team if you are uh, if you're on Team USA. Sky Scheffler um, is going to be, you know, was the first selected to the U.S. team on the Ryder Cup. But, boy, that's a tough team that you're going to have to try and get rid of. So, but, hey, you know what? I, I was just thinking about this. You know, now that, that you know, Stanford and Cal are kind of left on the outside, maybe we'll just replay the game, you know, and we'll have the band run out in the field every week. Wouldn't that be fun? Just every week because they have no one else to play? Maybe maybe that's what we're going for here. All right, let's uh, let's talk some NASCAR because I actually I, I do want to talk uh, – I do want to talk some NASCAR. First, let's talk about the, the race that happened on Monday. Yes, because of rain. Uh, Chris Buescher got his second win in a row, by the way. I wasn't on the show last week, but you can look back through my notes. I picked Chris Buescher to win in, in Pick'em, and I'll bring that up to Travis whenever I uh, we, we talk again here on the show. But, yeah, I picked, I picked him. So we'll see if I get my five bonus points. We'll have to wait and see. Uh this weekend, they're in Indy on the road course, hopefully for the last time. Yes, last time uh, on the road course because hopefully we can get back to actual Indy. It'll be a, next year. Will be the thirty-year, um, um, thirty-year anniversary of the first Brickyard Four Hundred. So we better, we better be on that oval. And I know they're doing testing after the race this weekend. Um, but yeah, this weekend's race, man, we talked about it last year at Watkins Glen and all the different uh, people that are going to be in the race. It's the same thing this one. We are going to tie that record for the most amount of countries in this race. And you talk about, you know, some of the the people who are going to be in this race at Indy this weekend, and it's, it's a who's who. It really is. You know, besides the normal NASCAR drivers, we won't, we won't talk about them. You got Jensen Button. Um who's going to be in a Rick Rare racing car. Um, very talented. Won a lot over, uh, I believe, in Europe, if, I, if I'm... if I could be wrong there um, on that one. Uh, Andy Lally, also in a Rick Rare racing. Uh, Komomi uh, Kobayashi is going to be in a 2311 car, so he's going to be in a, a 2311 car there. And then um, Shane Van Gisbergen, yes, SVG returns after his win in Chicago. So, again, a lot of interesting, you know, races and, and a lot of interesting, you know, guys in this race. It's going to be very interesting, I think, to see what happens. Now, I'm, I'm not fighting. Um, that's it. Brody, Brody uh, Kostecki. Brody Kostecki. You may wonder, who is that? Well, he is a guy um, from Australia as well 
who you know we talked about SVG and how good he's been. He you know how good he is in in Australia and, and racing those cars down there. Well, Kostecki has beaten SVG multiple times. Um, Kostecki moved to the U.S. in 2011. He competed uh, in the USAC Ford Focus Series. Um, he won his first UARA late model series race at Rockingham, where he beat Ty Dillon and Bubba Wallace. Um, so he's got experience in these kind of cars. Now, obviously not in the next gen, but as I said, he's also second in supercar championship point standings as well. And by the way, SVG is not first. So I'm going to be watching the race within the race between these two and seeing about, you know, if who wins out of this between Brody uh, Kostecki and, and SVG for that bragging rights there with the supercar guys. But it's going to be a lot of fun there in Indy. Uh, I don't like the road course. But, hey, we got the truck race the, you know, on Friday. That's going to be at the the uh, short track there at IRP. That's always a fun track. I love that track. So that's going to be a fun one as well. All right, now I'm, I'm going to get into a rant here to, to end the show. And, it's yes, it's a NASCAR rant. But they announced the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame. And Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss both were elected into the Hall of Fame. Both deserve to get in. Both were expected to be in the Hall of Fame. Here's my problem. Jimmy Johnson was not unanimous. Four votes short of unanimous. Four people did not put him on their ballot. Now, here's what's worse. All right, you talk about, you know, and while well, Eric, you know, some some guys, you know, don't don't get in, blah, blah, blah. You're picking two drivers. That means four people picked two other people above Jimmy Johnson to put in. Yes, Jimmy Johnson, the guy who's won 80-plus races, the guy who is a seven-time champion, the guy who I may not like, and I don't really like Jimmy Johnson. I don't think, I don't put him on the same pedestal as Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt or even Jeff Gordon for that matter because of the style of racing he won his championships in it's not the full season championship it was you know playoffs and chase and stuff like that but he won seven championships he can't help the the format that they were going for for NASCAR that's not his fault but he's not unanimous he won 10 races one season that is more races than Clint Boyer won in his whole career and that's more races than Donnie Allison won in his whole career Donnie Allison was just elected into the Hall of Fame. So what are we doing? And, you know, I heard Denny Hamlin on his podcast earlier this week talking about, and on social media, talking about these four people who did not vote should have their credentials for voting in this poll, and they should not be allowed to vote, and we should know who this is. Who are these four people? And I agree. I agree 100% with Denny Hamlin. We should know who these four people are who did not vote for Jimmy Johnson. And I know there are NASCAR fans saying, well, Richard Petty wasn't unanimous and Dale Earnhardt wasn't unanimous. Yes, but they were in the first class. You're having the entire history of NASCAR that you're voting on. The odds of one person getting everyone's vote in the entire history of NASCAR, when you talk about everyone that had ever happened because it was the first class, it's not, it's not realistic. It's not realistic to think that, oh, well, you know, they were going to be, they should have been unanimous. No, because they were the first class. But this, this I can't figure out. I cannot figure out. 
I cannot figure out who you're voting for above Jimmy Johnson. Like I said, it's not a matter of, oh, well, you just really like Jimmy Johnson. I don't. I I'm I I don't like Jimmy Johnson. I haven't liked Jimmy Johnson. But man, like how do you not put him in there unanimously? To me, it, it, it's a no-brainer, and it should have been. And how he does not get up there unanimously, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. Here's here's the other guys who were nominees this year. As my screen pulls up. Donnie Allison, who, who did make it. You got Sam Ard, Neil Bonnet, Tim Brewer, Harry Gant, A.J. Foyt, Carl Edwards, Jeff Burton, Harry Hyde, Banjo Matthews, Ricky Rudd, Larry Phillips, and Ralph Moody. I'm sorry. None of those drivers, none of those crew chiefs, none of those mechanics did tour sport what Jimmy Johnson did. None of them. A.J. Foyt's absolutely amazing, but he did most of his damage in open wheels. Yes, he, he won some NASCAR races, but he did most of his damage in open wheels. Harry Gant was a great driver, never won a championship. Carl Edwards won a lot of races, never won a championship, never won a Daytona 500. Jeff Burton, never won a championship, never won a Daytona 500. Neil Bonnet, never won a championship. Tim Brewer was a, a crew chief and, and broadcaster. Harry Hyde was a crew chief, he won a championship as a crew chief. Ricky Rudd never won a championship, never won a 500. How you are voting for any of these other guys above Jimmy Johnson tells me that you have a personal vendetta against Jimmy Johnson. That there's something that you did not like, whether it be that your friend, you know, if you're these voters, your friend did not get unanimous, so you were going to make sure Jimmy Johnson didn't get unanimous. Jimmy did something to you during your driving career that you didn't like. Or just that you don't like Jimmy Johnson himself. But whatever it is, this is wrong. Am I right? Like, this is wrong. How you do not put this man, and like I said, I don't like him. I'm not a Jimmy Johnson fan. Can't stand him. But he deserves to be in there. He deserves to be in there. And here's here's the, 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 we don't know who exactly is in the room. There's one person we know who is in the room. And I'll, I'll tell you who that is. And that is, there's 14 media representatives, three each from the National Motorsports Press Association, the Associated Press Sports Edition, and the Eastern Motorsports Press Association, and one each from current media right holders Fox, Comcast, Motor Racing Network, Performance Racing Network, and Sirius XM. So there's 14 media representatives. There's one representative each from the current manufacturers, that's Chevy, Ford, Toyota. There's three retired drivers, three retired owners, three retired cup chief, crew chiefs, one ballot for the fans, and the reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion. So that would be Joey Logano. He's the only one we know of for a fact is in there. He's it. That's it. We don't know anyone else 
Who is in there? But here's what I'm going to tell you. We should know these four drivers or four people who did not vote Jimmy Johnson in because there's a story here. Because let's just say hypothetically, and I heard this, I'm, I'm not taking credit for it, but let's say Richard Petty was the one who voted no for Jimmy Johnson not to get in because he doesn't view Jimmy Johnson on the same plane as Richard Petty himself. Or maybe Richard is upset because Jimmy Johnson took over Richard Petty's team at Lexi Motorsports, kind of kicked Richard Petty to the curb. Or let's say it's Dale Jr. What if it was Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Could you imagine that? Teammate of Jimmy Johnson? He's the one who said, no, he is not good enough to be unanimous. 80 wins, more than Dale Earnhardt. Seven championships, tied Dale Earnhardt. Dale Jr., eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. My thing is, if Jimmy Johnson is not going to be unanimous, if he's not unanimous, then there's absolutely no one in the world who will ever be unanimous in this NASCAR Hall of Fame. No one will ever be unanimously voted in if Jimmy Johnson does not. And like I said, you can make the, the argument, and I did, that it's a case of, you know, the first year Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt were both inducted into the same class, that inaugural class with Dale Earnhardt, Bill France Sr., Bill France Jr., Junior Johnson, and Richard Petty. No one was going to be unanimous because you had all the history of NASCAR to vote for. So nobody was going to be unanimous. But when you look at that nomination sheet that I just read off to you, that should be a unanimous driver there, and it should be Jimmy Johnson. If anyone's not going to be, if Jimmy Johnson's not going to be a unanimous choice, like I said, there's never, ever, ever going to be a unanimous choice. Seven-time cup champ, 83 race wins, two-time 500, four-time Coke 600, four-time Brickyard winner, two-time Southern 500 winner. He won the all-star race. He did everything he could do. Five championships in a row. He did everything he could do. What more could he have done to be a unanimous Hall of Famer? And the answer is nothing. Nothing at all. And that's why I'm upset about it. Is the fact of you've now set the bar, if you're the NASCAR Hall of Fame, that nobody can ever be a unanimous Hall of Famer. No one can ever get every vote. Because if Jimmy Johnson, like I said, won all the races, check. Won the championship, check. If he's not going to be a unanimous Hall of Famer, nobody is. Nobody is. And that's the dangerous precedent they've now set for themselves. So, if they're okay with it, then I guess I, I should be okay with it as well. But I'm not. It, it really, really upsets me. It really makes me mad. So, alrighty. Well, like I said, we are at Indy this weekend. And uh, Travis, like I said, is not here. So, I will give my... Um, I'm looking for my right thing. Here it is. I will give my pick for who I have for Pick'em this week, and that is Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez I got at the Indy Road Course. Uh, he has one win on a road course. He is in desperate need of a win based on points. Um, 
because he is in trouble of missing missing the playoffs right now. If we, we look at the playoff standings um, right now and the, this playoff bubble, so to speak, of where we're at as we get closer and closer and closer to you know the playoffs, we're only three races away. You know, obviously, you know Martin Truex Jr. ran good again at Michigan. Um, as it sits right now, he will be your one seed. William Byron's a two, um, but at that bubble, you know Kevin Harvick, he has not yet officially clinched. He's 180 points to the good. He is close. Um, I think basically as long as he doesn't finish, you know, last at Indy, he'll probably clinch this weekend. Brad Keselowski is 168 points to the good. He is close to clinching a spot as well. Bubba Wallace is 58 points to the good. Now, Bubba, Bubba's got some, you know, he's built up a nice cushion there over the 16th place car. But what Bubba has to be worried about is other guys winning. That would knock him out. Because, again, the more guys win who are below that cut line, and we'll talk about some of those, the more, you know, Bubba's kind of in a precarious situation because he's 100-some points behind Brad. He ain't catching Brad. So... And Bubba's not a great road course racer, so he's in a little bit of trouble, I think, uh, the next two weeks with the Indy road course and with Watkins Glen coming up. And then right now, the last driver to get in is Ty Gibbs. Yes, the rookie Ty Gibbs. He is three points to the good after a good weekend in Michigan. But let's look at those drivers below the cut line. Yeah, Michael McDowell, excellent road course racer and a really good plate track racer as well. He could easily either make up enough points to get in or win one of these next three races. Daniel Suarez, he has ran good in the past on road courses, but his team hasn't shown quite the speed that I would look for out of that car the second half of the season. Behind him, 24 points below the cut line is A.J. Allmendinger. We know how good A.J. Allmendinger is at road courses. He's also a very good plate driver. He could go out and win one of these next three races as well. And 24 points is not a whole lot when you factor in stages. He could easily gain that, especially if Gibbs or Wallace have a bad race. Then behind him is Alex Bowman. He's 44 points back. Now, he's kind of in that desperation needs a win thing. He hasn't been great on road courses in the past. He's not an excellent plate track driver. And he's kind of in a precarious situation. I'll tell you why coming up here in just a moment. Austin Sendrick behind him. He is 53 points back. He's going to need a win, but he's a really good road course racer, and he won the Daytona 500 last year, let's not forget. So he knows how to win at Daytona. And then you have Chase Elliott, who is 22nd in points, who's 55 points back after he wrecked out at Michigan. He has to win. Luckily, he's very good at Watkins Glen, and he's very good at plates. I don't think he can point his way in. He's going to need a win. Behind him is Justin Haley. He needs a win, but he's won at Daytona before in the past. And then if you go down to 29th in points, 29th in points is Austin Dillon. 145 points behind. No way of making the playoffs, except for the little fact that he won at Daytona last year to get himself in the playoffs. So I say none of these guys, Kozlowski, Wallace, or Gibbs, are safe. Because I could see any of those drivers I just mentioned below the cut line winning one of these next couple of races. 
The issue for someone like an Alex Bowman is that you also have Chase Elliott trying to make the playoffs. So Hendrick Motorsports cannot put all of their resources behind Alex Bowman because they also have to try and get Chase Elliott in the playoffs too because they want as many drivers of their drivers as they can to get in there. So that's not great for him. Someone who is great for, when you talk about the plate tracks, is Austin Dillon because his teammates are already in there. Another guy is Austin Sendrick. His teammates are already in there. Both Ryan Blaney, Joe Logano have wins. They're locked in. You know that they're going to be in the playoffs. Michael McDowell's got some Ford drivers. I think Keselowski, Busher, Harvick, who are in there. They could help him out. Suarez, I know his teammate Ross is in there, but again, they haven't had the speed lately that I would like. To me, unless there is a new winner, I, I'm going to say it's going to be, for the four the final four playoff spots, it'll be Harvick, it'll be Keselowski. Again, Harvick's the only one who can lock himself lock himself definitively in on points. Brad can, if one of the drivers who's already won, or Kevin Harvick, who's ahead of him, win this weekend. Then he can lock himself in too. But I think it will be Harvick. It'll be Keselowski. I still think it'll be Bubba Wallace. And I do think that last one will go to Michael McDowell. I think he has done enough. He's put himself in a great position with some of his best tracks coming up. Former 500 winner and an excellent road course racer who what he does on the road courses is he keeps his car clean and keeps it out of trouble. And that's what you need to do. You just need to survive. That's all you got to do. But you can't go with the mindset of, I just want to survive because then that's when you're going to make a mistake. And Michael McDowell knows how to take care of his equipment. Michael McDowell this season has one did not finish. One race he did not finish in this year. That's it. That's it. He's done a great job with that. The only one, other one with lower is Corey LaJoy. Corey LaJoy has been in every race that he has been in this year. And he's another one. I mean, he could win at Daytona. When he gets to Daytona, anyone could win. Anyone could win. And that's why it's exciting. And that's why we're looking forward to it. First, we got to get to Indy and that lousy road course. All right. I think that just about does it here for me for today. Me and Travis will be back. Well, for the podcast, hopefully next week. But if not then, we're starting back up the radio show within a week. Maybe a little more than a week. But we'll be back soon with the actual radio show over on 99 of the Games. Just got done talking to a couple coaches getting some uh, situations figured out to get some coach interviews. Hey, football's right around the corner. The 25th, we're closing in. It'll be here before we know it. And we'll take a look at some conferences coming up in the next couple of weeks here on the starting lineup. It's going to be a lot of fun. Probably my favorite time of the year is once we start doing football, high school football. It's just a, it's just a blast. I just love high school football. And it's going to be here before we know it. So until then, we'll talk to you later. Peace.